A warm welcome to all of you, ladies and gentlemen, and a special welcome to all our speakers who have made this summit possible. Special thanks also goes to our sponsors and to my amazing team, which has worked very hard over the past months. We recruited in March, so this is nine months ago, to make this summit a success. Our event is an entirely student-run summit, uh, which aims to inform, inspire and engage everyone who would like to listen, but especially students, um, to critically think about international development issues and ideally to go and actively get involved in them. This year's summit um, will talk about resources, crisis and conflict. So I will talk about a bit about that now. The, the struggle for resources has always been a reason for crisis and conflict. And today, importance of clean water and oil um, has reached enormous proportions to the extent that even competition over these resources has led to outright war. The summit this um, weekend will talk about these issues and we will um, have talks on uh, how to manage water scarcity and uh, the economic cost of war, among many other topics. We will also have presentations by Right to Play, the Global Poverty Project and um, many others. And we will also have workshops by Mustafa Khan, for instance, uh, with student hubs, Kuaitika, uh, and many others. We will also have um, a Kiyos fair outside in the atrium, which make, gives you an opportunity to talk to the new internationalist, for instance, and to UNICEF on campus, and many others. I will uh, wish you a very enjoyable weekend, and I hope you will have a good time, and I pass over to my Vice President, Jack Pearson, who is amazing. <laughs> uh, first of all, I'd like to reiterate Tara's uh, sentiments and just thank you all for coming tonight. It's excellent to see so many of you here on a Friday evening. I know it's uh, not necessarily the best evening to be hosting this, but certainly the Saturday and Sunday are due to be packed out, so we look forward to seeing you all there as well. Uh, I'd like to thank Tara for her leadership. Uh, she's been exceptional throughout the whole process. She's been dedicated and she's always been positive, which has been a real driving force behind the whole team. In terms of the team, I'd also like to thank them as well. They've been dedicated and passionate about all issues pertaining to development. They're an amazing group, and I think between us all, we're going to have an amazing event over the weekend. Uh, I'd also like to thank the sponsors and our uh, speakers this weekend as well. Uh, many of them have travelled great distance. They do it in the name of development. They, do, they come here today to pass on their knowledge and their skills and hopefully not only to inform and engage with you but also to inspire you. We also have a guest speaker tonight which is Dr Sasha Becker who's going to speak later about economic development in historical perspective. In terms of development, the same questions always arise. What is development? How does development work? What should it look like? Who drives development? Who should lead the process? Now. These are controversial questions, and they have even more controversial answers. Outside the atrium, I think you can see hanging up our Paint Your Own Development banner. In the summer last year, uh, June precisely, we held an event where we asked students to come and paint their idea of development. They all wrote down different definitions. And these range from economic development to social, political, cultural, it's like gender equality for some, resources for others. And that diversity kind of shows through in what you're going to hear over the course of the weekend as well. Despite this diversity and what may appear to be incongruencies between them, 
there is actually a lot of common ground. When we talk about development, I think some of the key assumptions and the kind of core principles are an ideal in which we better the human position, in which we strive for progress and improvement. And so I think that's the important thing to take away from it. And I'm not going to try and press too hard to push my own definition of what development is. Instead, I ask that you think about it for yourselves. Question over the weekend, everything that's said. Engage all the ideas that are put forward and see if by the end of the weekend you can work out what you think development might be. However, there's a more fundamental question. Why care? Why does development matter to any of us? And that seems like a pressing question, especially in the abstract environment that we find ourselves in. When we sit in maths and stats, a world-class teaching facility, a thousand miles from the developing world in many respects. Well, here are a few reasons to care, perhaps. 1.2 billion people live below the poverty line. 925 million people go hungry every day. That means that one in seven people don't get sufficient food to lead a healthy lifestyle. Of those that are hungry, 98% live in developing countries. 17 million children each year will be born underweight. 40 million people globally are infected with HIV. And AIDS has already claimed the life of over 20 million people. In sub-Saharan Africa alone, it's orphaned over 12 million children. 771 million people are illiterate. And these statistics are very useful. They tell us a lot. They tell us about the scope of the challenge. They tell us the breadth of what we face. What they fundamentally fail to miss at times is the humanity that's involved. When we use statistics, there's a danger that we can dehumanise the very people we wish to talk about. Behind each statistic, there's toil, struggle, hardship and pain. And these are the things which genuinely afflict people. So I think it's important that when we read into these statistics, when we see them, when we engage with those sorts of facts and figures, we don't just read them out without pausing for thought. We don't just sit and listen to them without thinking about the consequences of what they actually mean. In that sense, they become sanitised. They lose all meaning, perhaps. So statistics, as I've already pointed out, are perhaps flawed. There's need for the human face, for an emotional engagement with the issues, because that's fundamentally what will drive and motivate you to try and challenge these ills in the world, the fight injustice. Now, in the modern society, it's often very easy to forget the connections that exist between people. We often see ourselves as individualistic, atomised, divided from one another. However, between people there are intimate connections. They may seem ethereal, but I would suggest they're incredibly powerful. Our altruism, compassion, empathy are all indications of this. In Africa they have a concept called Ubuntu. I heard Desmond Tutu talk about this for the first time, and I also heard Nelson Mandela talk about it. They talked about the power that it had in uh, apartheid Africa. And Ubuntu, roughly translated, means something on the lines of I am me because you are you. Now, it may seem oxymoronic or paradoxical, but it underpins a fundamental reality. And that reality is that we see our own humanity in other people. We learn about ourselves from interactions with others. In essence, we're mirrors for one another. So that provides an obligation and a duty to show each other the best of our human nature, the best of our potential, the best of our ability to develop. And that's not just development in the sense of development that we're talking about here, but that's personal development as well. This concept of Ubuntu also means that we have a duty to look after one another. It connects us to a shared human fate, one destiny. 
And what it means is that when we talk about people in the developed world, when we talk about their suffering, the indignity that they face, it actually undermines our very human humanity and our humanness as well. So they may suffer the physical and the psychological pain, but somewhere underneath that, it undermines the credibility of the whole of humanity. So through partnership and unity, I think we can come together and we can move forward with a desire to change. To do this, we need to have the emotional connection that I was talking about. Think about the way in which that would affect you. If you had to watch, say, a family member die of malaria, or starve in a famine, flee their home because of rising floodwaters, it's a pretty horrific thought. I think most of us would do anything in our power to try and stop that, driven by a motivation that we can't really fully explain. But yet people who find themselves in that position are often powerless, unable, forced to watch, forced to suffer. So with that fire in our bellies, with that connection to the issues at hand, that's how we move forward and that's how we actually change something. So this weekend, this summit isn't just about being engaged, that's just the starting point. Nor is it about being informed, that's just the second stage. I hope and I challenge our speakers not only to enable people to have both of those things, most of all, we have to be inspired. Thank you. <laughs>